When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Hey, I'm Paul Stevenson, and this is VRP Rocks, the ultimate classic rock podcast that says that my music is better than yours. Make sure to subscribe to VRP Rocks on your podcast app right now so you don't miss a single episode. They come out every Monday and always feature big-name rock and roll stars that found fame in the 60s, 70s, or 80s. And if you're a new listener, check back through the catalogue. There's an awful lot of interviews for you to enjoy of the stars telling their amazing stories from their legendary careers. Now, today's episode is another My Five Favourites. And if you've not listened to the previous ones with Jim McCarty from The Yardbirds or John Ellsley from Dire Straits, then this show is where we dig into the minds of these classic rock stars to reveal their five favourites from a music-related topic. John and Jim both chose their five favourite songs from their own bands, Dire Straits and Yardbirds, of course. And today's guest is choosing his five favourite albums that he's played on. And I've just realised that it's actually a trio of Rock and Roll Hall of Famers. John and Jim were both inducted, as was today's guest, a man who drummed for The Move, ELO, Black Sabbath, Mr. Bev Bevan. Now, long-time listeners will know that I had Bev on a couple of years ago to talk about his career, and that was way back on episode 40, so do please go back and check that one out. 
Now, Bev takes us through his career with his selections today, and there's some great stories about Jeff Lynne and Roy Wood and touring America, touring with Deep Purple, the story behind the anthem Mr. Blue Sky, his time with Black Sabbath, and his current projects too. It's a lot of fun, and I know you're going to enjoy them. But, of course, first a quick thank you. On last week's show, I thanked Haida Hadur from Denmark for leaving a review on Apple Podcasts and asked if there's anyone else that listened from around the world. And lo and behold, a couple of days later, a review popped up on there from Finland. Someone called ZKP, that was their username, left this lovely five-star review saying, one of the best rock podcasts focusing on classic rock stuff. Keep it up. So thank you very much from Finland. That adds to the one from Denmark. There was one from Australia as well. Phil Long said, always look forward to Paul showing my feed. I really enjoy his love of the music and how this show has evolved over the years. Well done, Philip. So thank you very much to you guys. Uh, so great to see them pop up. And again, I'll kindly ask one more time. If you can, please do leave a review on your podcast app as it makes a big difference to the podcast visibility, even if it's just clicking five stars. It helps with all the algorithms that the podcast apps use and, and start showing it to other people on their feeds and stuff. And it makes it grow as well. And we want VRP Rocks to grow because I've got some really, really special plans in the background going on. You know all about the YouTube. The channel's going crazy over four million views. It's taking off as well and there's going to be a third strand added very soon indeed to the vrp rocks family and i'm looking forward to revealing that but that's all to come but back to bev bevan then he began in the midlands with a band called the move now if you're not from the uk you'll probably not know them too well but in the uk they had loads of success a number one single seven other top 10 hits as well theirs was the first song ever played on bbc radio one when it was launched and they were sued by the then prime minister of britain Harold Wilson as well. They were a big deal in the 60s and 70s. Now, that band evolved into, with Bev, the force that became Electric Light Orchestra. They became one of the most successful rock bands on the UK and US charts for over a decade. 50 million records sold, 27 top 40 singles in the UK, 15 top 20 hits in America. They were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2017. He spent time in Black Sabbath. Tony Iommi was his best man at his wedding, and he's worked with Paul Wells and so many other things too. He's a top man with so many great rock stories to tell. And as I said earlier, check out the other episode I did with him, episode 40, to hear even more from his career. But for now, please enjoy this chat as Bev takes us back through his career to reveal his five favourite albums that he's played on. Now, I'm delighted to be joined by the wonderful drummer himself, Bev Bevan. And as you'd expect from a man who's worked with so many incredible groups, he's got a, a really interesting selection of records. He's going to choose his five favourite albums that he's been involved with. Now, we'll start off, Bev, at uh, the beginning of the 70s with a, a band that made it very, very big in the early days, The Move. Now, which record have you chosen from The Move? I've chosen, um, we didn't make that many albums. We're more of a singles band. But we made like, four albums, and the one I've chosen is Shazam which was released in 1970. The original move lineup was, was probably the, the strongest. That was Carl Wayne on vocals, Roy Wood on guitar, Trevor Burton on rhythm guitar, Ace Kevin on bass, myself on drums. But we went through a few changes. And by the time we got to 1970, the lineup was myself, Carl Wayne, Roy Wood, and Rick Price, who we went on to join Roy in Wizard years later and there's only six tracks on the album but I've, I've chosen this album because i it's my favorite drumming wise you know I, there's some really powerful stuff on here which knowing i was doing this program i, I played the album again and it does it, it 
it's, some of the tracks are a bit over long, maybe, <laughs> but I love the I love um, the performance. Absolutely, and I was going to say this, no pun intended. It was a move away from the more kind of commercial and poppy sound, wasn't it? So, was that um, something that you, you did on purpose? Was it a purposeful thing when you went in the studio to to do something that was a little bit harder and a little bit less poppy in a way? Uh, our management made a big mistake in not when we made this in in England in 1967. We should have gone to America because we we, we worked a lot with with the Who and Cream and and Hendrix. Joe Cocker, they all went to America and we didn't. Yeah. We didn't actually get there until 1969. And this album was recorded just before we went to America. Uh, and we knew we were playing venues like the Whiskey A Go Go and the Grandy Ballroom in Detroit, uh, Fillmore West. So we thought we had to, you know, we thought we'd had to put on a really heavy rock sort of set. Uh, and and yeah. we did all the tracks from this album, really, on, on that tour. And I'd read some. You just mentioned the tour. I'd read that uh, the tour was a bit of a, a crazy one for you. Ended up driving miles and miles and miles on end, and it caused a bit of friction between members, as you'd expect, being crammed together in, in cars for such a long time. But what do you remember of that tour? It was a it was a really mad three weeks. That's all it was. We um, <laughs> I, I remember it very well. We landed. We flew from London to New York. None of us. All, all four members of the band, none of us had been to America before. But we had a, a roadie with us, a guy called Upsy Downing, who uh, <laughs> and who, who toured America two or three times um, with Hendrix. So he knew his way around America. So yep. he knew, you know, which hotel to book, where, where to go and everything. Uh, so we got, to, we got to New York. He took us to Manny's music store. And I bought myself uh, a kit of Slingle and drums, and we brought the guitars uh, with us and some little amps. Uh, and a bit more stuff from there. We hired a Dodge sedan and a U-Haul trailer, and off we set. And we drove from New York to uh, Detroit, which wasn't too too far. Uh, and we we did two nights with Iggy and the Stooges, which was great. Cool. And then. We drove route the famous Route 66, so we drove the whole of Route 66, and we only stopped one night at a Holiday Inn in the middle of Texas somewhere. Got into a big fight with a load of cowboys, you know. <laughs> we've all got long hair and stuff, and these guys, hey, you proofers, you know. Hey. So we've got a, literally a big a fist fight with these guys. Went roaring out of town to escape them, and then drove to LA, checked in the. Continental Fired House, which is known as the Riot House, real rock yes. and roll hotel. Famous, yeah. <laughs> um, and then we did um, five nights at the Whiskey Gogo on Sunset Strip. And, lots of, and some great people came to see us. We were signed to A&M Records, so the boss of A&M was Herb Albert. So he bought the Carpenters. He just signed the Carpenters. They'd had one hit. So they came. The Doors came to see us. Remember Jim Morrison being literally carried out of the club, totally <laughs> unconscious, and God knows what he was on. And, and most memorably, I suppose, my old friend from the Hollies, Graham Nash, was there. Huh? But he left the Hollies by this time, and he, he, he was forming Crosby, Stills, and Nash. And he said, oh, hey, Bev, uh, this is my girlfriend, Joan, and it was Joni Mitchell. And we're going back to his house, which was 
our house, our house is a very, very, very fine house. Uh, so it was that was great. And then we um, we drove up to San Francisco, and I think we did four nights at the Fillmore West, and we opened the show, and Little Richard went on next, and then Joe Cocker closed the show. So it, they were all fabulous nights too. Uh, so it was a very memorable and packed three-week tour. And as you said, it was your first experience of America, and obviously Britain in the 60s was was um, a difficult place at times, wasn't it? So going over to America, the land of milk and honey, as people called it, what, what were your experiences in terms of, of the place itself and the people that you met then? Well, it was, I mean, New York was still eye-opener because you, you never, I'd never experienced a place like it. You're just the, the skyscrapers alone, you know. And we were yeah, all young yeah. kids. We were in awe of it, really. When we got to the West Coast, in particular, it was a, it's a totally different scene. It was everyone was so laid back, and the girls were very forward, if you, to say the least. You know, they were like <laughs> we were walking along Sunset Strip, and a load of girls came past in a convertible, all lifted the tops up. You know, hey guys, wow, it's good to hear it. Um, so it was. You, you didn't, that didn't happen in England, you know. So it was an eye and uh, it was the only time the move ever went to America. But then, of course, within a couple of years, it became like a second home for me. You hear that? Of course, it did. In terms of the, the band itself, it was it was almost a transition album, wasn't it? Because before its release, Carl Wayne had left, decided to leave the group, and and Jeff Lynne came in. So uh, just around this sort of time, I mean, what what was your feelings about that with Carl leaving and Jeff coming into the group? Well, I think it, it was time for change, really. Because I, as I said earlier, the original five-piece move was, was when we were at our best. Uh, that's when we should have gone to the States. But we had a lot of hit records in, in Britain. Yeah. Um, but then Ace Keffert, mess, he messed up with drugs and he, and he left the band. We were number one with Blackberry Way when Trevor Burden left the band. I don't think anyone's ever left it when you're number one in the charts and somebody <laughs> leaves the band. But it's just nuts. And it, the, the, the Shazam album was the last one we did with three of us, with three original members. And we we, only, we did a one more move album along with Jeff Lentz, uh, who didn't really want to join the move. He wanted to work with Roy in particular, and hopefully me too. Um, but we, we were contracted to make a, a, a one more move album. So we did. And But what particularly Jeff and Roy wanted to do was form a new band, which they, they named Electric Light Orchestra. And that was the end of the move. Indeed. And we move on to ELO for your, your next choice, your second choice for album then. So so which one did you go for next? Again, because I I love the my drumming on it really in particular. It's the opening track of um Face the Music, which is called Fire on High, which is basically instrumental. I say a few words at the beginning, talking backwards. <laughs> But it, it, it's got it's very atmospheric. Uh, again, I played it. I loved it actually. I hadn't, I hadn't played it for years. It's, it's almost like an overture to open the album. And, there, and there, there's good stuff on here. There's I like all the songs on this. They're all great Jefflin songs. The Waterfall, Evil Woman, which is a big hit. Night Rider, Poker, which really rocks. Down Home Town and One Summer Dream, lovely song. So yeah, it's a, it's a very very good album. It is indeed. And you mentioned uh, the, the opening words on, on Fire on High, and 
It is. I'd read that it was Jeff's response to criticism that the band received from the previous record. There were some religious groups saying that there was backwards satanic messages or something on there, and and this was Jeff playing around. Is that true? Yeah, I think, I think as I recall, it was. Yeah, and because I've got the the deep voice, I, I I think I'm saying turn back, turn back. Time is reversible. No, music is reversible, but time is not. Something like that, and that, so Jeff recorded me saying that. And then played backwards. Uh, yeah, it was a bit of a response to to what some people had said about us, about PLR. Yeah. And just mentioning the previous record there, I mean, El Dorado was the breakthrough record, really, wasn't it? I mean, given the success, the gold rating in the US, I think it was platinum in Canada as well, El Dorado. Can you remember going into to making this record then? What was the thought process on on doing this? Because El Dorado was was very big on had the orchestra, didn't it? The full orchestra, remembering rightly. Um, whereas this one was a bit more stripped back again, wasn't it? Yeah, the I mean, El Dorado was wasn't even a hit in in, in Britain. Um, this is when we no. started touring America, and we started doing sw- lots of small venues. But then a big breakthrough for us was when we were asked to to be special guests on the Deep Purple tour. Uh, and that was a massive tournament. It was coast to coast, to, I think it's 50 odd dates, and playing a, a, a 20,000 seater arenas. So we'd never experienced anything like that before. But we did it with Deep Purple, they were great guys to work with. And um, Ronnie James Dio opened the, the show. His band was called ELF, E L F. Then he was ELO, <laughs> and obviously Deep Purple closed it. <laughs> But it was such great experience to play these, these these big arenas. So the following year, we'd had more hits, and it was our turn to top the bill. Uh, and we'd been to these places before, so we had some idea what to do. And with a seven-piece band, you know, we had such an unusual lineup that the standard lead-based drums, keyboards, but then we had two cellists and a violinist, and nobody had really seen it anything like that. And the cellist in particular, Hugh McDowell in particular, was amazing on stage where he used to race around the stage with the cello above his head and and it was it was a it was an unusual and um entertaining show. You know, we we didn't just stand there and play. Uh, and, and American audiences loved it. And that's how we had our first big hit record. I'll get it out of my head which was not a hit in England. And then the the, uh, the album that it was taken from, El Dorado, also was not a hit in England, um, but was gold, went gold in uh, in America. And of all my gold albums that I've still got, uh, you can see behind me some of them, and um, El Dorado would be my favourite because he was the first one. It was such a thrill, you know, to be presented yeah. with that. So in terms of Face the Music then, um, this was recorded in Musicland Studios in Germany, wasn't it? I think it was the first time you used that place and you went to use that a lot with ELO. So what made you choose there and what's your memories of that famous place? Well, I, I spent over the, during the 70s, I spent a lot of time in Munich <laughs> yes. at Musicland Studios. I uh, had a, a wonderful engineer, a guy called Mac, uh, who went on to produce Queen. Now, I think in fact we recommended Queen to go there, you know, we say, hey, we got this great studio. I'm trying to remember who recommended us to, to try now, can't remember. And Donna Sommers did all her records there, a very successful studio. 
but it became like a second home for us, Munich. Um, and we developed a, a way of recording, knowing that we we're going to put big orchestras. That, that was the last thing that was put on was a big orchestra and a choir that I went into. So we kept the the backing. I kept the drumming fairly simple, not too complicated. And I also, well, Jeff got a, got me a great drum sound um, by double tracking the drums. We go in the four of us. The cellists and the violinists were not really on the albums because we used an orchestra. Uh, but so just the basic rhythm section, the four of us went in, laid down a backing track, and then once we were happy with the drum track, everything else was pretty much wiped and they, and they re-recorded it. But then I did the, the original drum track in the studio, obviously, but then I, we'd, we'd move the drums into the, the bathroom and, and re-record them uh, because we, all, the, all the tiles, it made it such an echoey sound, such a big sound. And, and Jeff and Mac spliced them together. Uh, and that's why I, I, on all the ALO albums, really, I get um, a really lovely, you know, big drum sound. Oh, wow. It's fascinating to hear things like that. I spoke to John Helliwell from Supertramp, and he recorded the famous logical song, um, uh, saxophone solo, sorry, yeah. in the bathroom as well. And yeah, for the same sort of reasons, fascinating stuff. Uh, anyway, Bev, let's move on to your third choice then. And it's another ELO record and, and probably no surprises to, to which one it is. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report. And you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. No, well, I think Out of the Blue is, is it's a double album, our only double album. It's probably our best known album, best, biggest selling album. The artwork is, is absolutely fantastic on it. That had a lot to do with Sharon Osborne, as she was then, um, before she married Ozzy. Uh, she, 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 she did, she was on the road with us quite a lot. She was great fun to be on the road with. Terrific. Um, that's only saw it a few weeks ago at the, uh, went to the, the Birmingham Ballet, the Black Sabbath Ballet in Birmingham. Uh, oh, okay. I went with my great friend, Tony Iowa, uh, and, um, Sharon was there. I hadn't seen her for years. Uh, so I brought back a lot of, a lot of good memories. And, and, and back to the album. So the artwork was great. And the, the stage set for the album was, was amazing. The spaceship. Quite extraordinary, really. It took, it took about, it took a whole day to set it up. So when we toured, we used to do A shows and B shows. And we had two separate crews. So that we had the, a mass event, a mighty strong crew to set up the spaceship. It took, used to take them all day. And had to do it the day before the gig. So we had to hire places for two nights instead of, instead of the usual one. 
But then while they were setting up for the the B spaceship show, we'd do what we call B shows uh, without, the, without the spaceship, which only takes a few hours to set up. So we, but we could work every night with two different crews. So it was a hard working tour, but it, it, an incredibly popular one. We did amazing business on that tour. Yeah, it's just a great album. It really is. I mean, Jeff really came up into his own. His songs just got better and better, really. Uh, I mean, we recorded over 10 weeks in the summer of 77. And we had, and it usually it's nice weather there, but we've had terrible, um, <laughs> terrible weather. And that's how, really, how Mr. Blue Sky came out. My favorite side of the four album, yeah, of the four sides, is Concerto for a Rainy Day. And that was inspired to Jeff by the fact that he, we, we just had so many rainy days. Uh, but the closing track, though, is um, Mr. Blue Sky. Suddenly, one day, finally got sunny. And that in Jeff, you know, was inspired to write Mr. Blue Sky, which is, has become. Uh, Yellow's answer, really. Yes, absolutely, it has. Can, can I just take you back quickly to, to to Sharon Osbourne? You mentioned that she was involved in with with the the album cover, the artwork. So, what what was the input for that? She helped with the space, you know, with the the, the stage show, the spaceship. Once that was established, uh, that that you know that we were going to use the spaceship. Uh, that's when the artwork for the album uh, came about, really. Anybody that's got out of the blue and you have to double gate pole sleeve and you open it up. Um, and then she was, in, she just helped, she helped with the stage set and a part that Don Arden was a hard man, a proper gangster, really. But um, he was a very successful rock and roll manager. Uh, and then a good team. Uh, and, and we had our input as well. We, all, you know, we suggested stuff. Let's uh, do. Um, it was very dramatic, the show itself, where we, everyone, the, the spaceship would, if you like, had landed. And the noise was amazing. And the special effects and all the, the lasers and the smoke. And then the spaceship would open this, this roar. And crowds were absolutely, they'd never seen anything like it, and mesmerized by it. And then not only that, we used to, there was no, the band weren't on stage, it was there. And then we'd come up on risers from below the stage, like electronic risers, which unfortunately a couple of times it didn't work properly. So you, you had to clamber <laughs> up the stairs to get onto the stage, which kind of ruined the intro a couple of times. But generally, it was the, the most amazing start to a show. Absolutely. Um, and then just touching on, you mentioned uh, Mr. Blue Sky, obviously, as you said, it became the anthem for the band. It's, it's hugely popular. It comes around in, in TV and movies all the time. It's, it's kept the song and the band alive in, in the, the minds and hearts of, of much younger people as well. So how do you feel when you, when you see it on movies and TV shows and things like that? I'm amazed at how much it, it's been used, but it's such, I believe it was, I was told, or I might have even read it, um, that it was the most played song during lockdown, which makes sense because it is, it was a miserable time, lockdown, as we all know. Uh, but it's such an uplifting song. It makes you feel good. 
And I think that's why a lot of so many advertisers use it because it's got that feel good factor. Absolutely. Right. Let's move on to your next choice of album then. And it's a, we're moving away from ELO now to another legendary group that you played with. And you mentioned uh, Tony Iommi not too long ago there, uh, Black Sabbath. So before we get to the record itself, first of all, tell us how did you get the call to go and play with Black Sabbath? I've been friends with Tony, really close friends with Tony. It's since about 1969, something like that, um, when Black Sabbath were just starting with our Earth, in fact. Before, even before the big, I knew Tony then. Um, we we just got on really well. Uh, Black Sabbath are very different from any any other band, and I had it's amazing how incredibly huge they are to this day. Still, they invented a, a genre of music, and Tony, in particular, Tony's guitar riffs are just incredible. And I've, I've kept in touch with Tony all through the years. I'm hoping to record with him this year. He's launching like a new um, fragrance. He's, there's a fragrance, perfume fragrance that he, he has out at the moment, I only, which is lovely. And now he's launching a second one. He played me some, again, some amazing new riffs. We're going to do a video to launch, hopefully launch this okay. new fragrance. He was best man at my wedding 15 months ago. So we've, we've all been great mates, so, but they... Back back to uh, back to 1983, they made an album called uh, Born Again, and Bill Ward, the original drummer, was on the album, but Ian Gillan was the lead singer. Who I knew well from when I toured with Deep Purple. Although Bill plays great on the album, they, when they started rehearsing for the tour, he just he just couldn't do it. I don't know whether it was physically or mentally, a bit of a mystery, but. In the end, they, they realised he, he was not capable of doing what is a very tough. The Black Sabbath said he's hard work. It really is tough. Uh, and Tony, um, pretty short of a notice, asked me, so Bill can't do it. Will you do the tour? And I thought, kind of listen to the album, listen, listen to it. And then, and, it, and then I'll, he said, well, and listen to all that. You, know, um, you play me the Ronnie Dio. A live double album. I said, "This is we do lots of these songs on, on, on the set as well." And Ian Gillan was learning all this new, new stuff too. So I remember going on holiday to Menorca and playing this album nonstop, and um, <laughs> just to learn the songs. I got home and um, we had our first rehearsal, and I was really nervous about doing it, but I think I'd learnt it better than they had. Uh, so in, in terms of, uh, obviously you've come from ELO and you mentioned earlier that for, for the records for ELO you kind of kept them simple because of all the layers of sound and everything involved. So what was it like getting to play with Black Sabbath then? Because they're a whole different world, isn't it, with with the heavy drumming and everything that's involved with, with touring with a band like that? It, 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 was like, it, was, it was like going back to my move days in a way where I was given total freedom. You, know, you just, hey, you just play what whatever you want. As the more fills, the better. You can really show off, you know. And I, and I used to have this on this tour. If, you can, if if anybody checks out any of the old videos from it, and there's a load, there are a lot. Um, the drum riser was amazing. It was about ten foot high, and it was the I don't know about two hundred, three hundred car spotlights in it, which used to come on from time to time. Totally <laughs> blind the audience, and I was at the top of this. And it was my first experience of being in 
heavy metal band, really. Although, although some of what we do in the move is like that, but to play to a mainly male crowd as well, Black Sabbath's crowd is probably 80% men. So that was a different experience for me. But there were such great guys to work with. And I knew Tony is such a good friend. Uh, Geezer Butler, lovely man. Ian Gillen, fabulous. What, what, a, what a lead vocalist. Uh, and a guy called Jeff Nichols on keyboard, so he never actually saw. He was sort of tucked away in the wings because he, he wasn't cool for a, a heavy metal band to have a keyboard player. But, uh, he, but, he, was, but he was there. And, and uh, great guys in the crew. So, yeah. Uh, did two American tours, big European tour, uh, including topping the bill at the Reading Festival. And that's the record, isn't it? That the, the, we're speaking about now. The, the the fourth choice is Black Sabbath Live at Reading yeah. Festival '83. Uh, and the crowd reaction is great on the few live albums I've played on. Well, we were lucky. It was a, it was a lovely day. About I don't know forty or fifty thousand people out there. I I just have just got great memories of it. Um, it was the only British day we did. We've been all over Europe. And we thought, I think originally, we were going to do like a, a British tour. But instead, we, we were off the, the, the festival and thought, let's, let's do it all in one day and then, and recorded it as well, which made it another, another. He went, he went along with Born Again as a double album, available as a double, double album. Uh, and just a fabulous day. Yeah. So we're going to move on to your fifth choice now, and this is from a band that uh, is very close to you now, Quill. Yep. Um, I was expecting uh, Riding Rainbows, but you've gone with a different one, and the newer one, haven't you? We, I love the Riding Rainbows album. And myself and Joy and Lee, guitar player, we wrote all the tracks on that album. This is a whole different idea, but it, it's, it's turned out to be incredibly popular. It's all cover versions, and it's called Midland Beat, and it's Quill paying tribute to just some of the fabulous music that's come out of the Birmingham area. We did a, a lot of the tracks on stage, and they went down so well. A lot of people are buying this album. So we're, we're, we're going to go in and do volume two uh, towards the end of the year because there's still so many other great tracks left. So we've got Go Now, Moody Blues, How Does It Feel, Slay, uh, Songbird, Christine McVie, and then we a version of Telephone Line from ELO. Blackberry Way will move. Can't find my way home. Steve Winwood, who's genius, uh, changes the Black Sabbath track we do. The day we caught the train, Ocean Colour Scene. Know those guys well. And the only one that's not from Birmingham is a song called Say It Ain't So, Murray Hetz song. But it's a song that the Quill have played for 30 odd years, a song they kind of made their own. It was great fun to do it, and it's going down. To it went down so well on the on these the, the show eight shows that we, we did, uh, and we we think we were thinking of sh- maybe this should be our farewell tour, but the reaction it was so good and we enjoyed the shows that much that we're um, we're booking a bunch more now for, the, for the, this year. <laughs> uh, looking forward to, to to doing it all again. Yeah, and as you said, there's a bunch more, more, more concerts, live shows lined up. What's the best way for for people to keep in touch with what Quill and yourself are doing, and and see where these shows are? Uh, well, if you go to uh, www.quilluk.com, and 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 there's a there's a Bev Bevan website, which is, again is pretty easy to find too. 
So yeah, and we we try we put a lot on Facebook, and so yeah, we're we're, we're pretty easy to find. Please please look us up. Indeed. Thank you so much for your time, Bev. Five fascinating uh, records you've chosen and some brilliant stories behind them all as well. So thank you so much for your time and best of luck with Quill going forward. Well, and best of luck to you. And it's a great show you do. I uh, look forward to speaking to you again one day. There you go, the lovely Bev Bevan there. A fascinating dive into his career. Check out those records if you haven't in a while. Support his current group as well, Quill. If you're in the UK, have a look to see if there's any shows near you and go and watch them. But that's it for this week's podcast then. Make sure you subscribe to VRP Rocks on your podcast app so that you get all the future episodes. Come out every Monday, of course. Big name rock stars on every one. Please leave VRP Rocks a five-star review on the podcast app that you use. It makes a big, big difference. It really does. And check out the VRP Rocks YouTube channel because, yeah, it's growing. Over four million views that channel's had now. The daily poll, I post a poll on there every single day. They get more than 5,000 votes every single day. Hundreds of comments. Sometimes up to 9,000 votes on a daily poll which is pretty crazy check out VRP Rocks on social media as well I love to hear from you all and I try my best to get back to everybody and it's always a lot of fun to try and keep classic rock alive but that's it for this week's episode then I'll be back same time next week of course to do it all over again but until then take care it's NFL draft season and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football fantasypoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points fantasypoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play whether you play fantasy football daily fantasy sports or do a little bit of everything fantasy points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.